Wonderful. Christmas Eve is going to be a wonderful time together, and so we're very excited about that. And uh, we're excited to be here in our fourth Sunday service on Christmas. I can't believe it. I was reflecting last night that this is the fourth sermon on Christmas, and yes, we started one Sunday before Advent, but still, this is a, this is a big deal. We're just progressing right along very quickly, and uh, you know, it's very, very close. Next week is the Sunday before Christmas, and uh, it's always a special occasion here at Promise Church. We've been going through the book of Matthew, and Matthew is a really interesting book. It's a very, uh, it's a very full book, and we've just been working through Matthew 1 and 2, and Matthew chapter uh, 1 and 2 is all about pointing us through numerous different means to the identity of Jesus. Who is Jesus, and how do we know that Jesus is who he claims he is? Um, I'm just going to pause and tell you for one moment um, something that is going to distract me throughout the service, so you, sh you better know about it. Um, yesterday, I became old, and, uh, and not because of a birthday, but because I graduated from single vision glasses to progressive lenses. So all you people who are below me are getting taller and shorter and taller and shorter as I move my head. And, uh, and that's a little distracting. So I'm going to get used to it, but I'm still in the learning curve. If for anybody who has progressive, you understand. For those of you who don't, this is very, thank you, Dean family. That's not helpful. <laughs> They're moving up and down and up and down. <laughs> That's just wonderful. It is quite distracting. As I was praying about uh, church on Saturday nights, I start to set my heart right towards what God wants to say through me today. And the message um, is, is really important. But there was another piece that happened last night that was really interesting in my heart. And it was a realization of my own, um, my own sometimes inaccuracies or whatever, and a remembrance of one of the lessons that my dad taught me uh, when I was a child. I remember my dad sitting down and, and telling me when I was very, very little. He said to me, he said, Rob, actually he said Robert, because I wasn't Rob until later. He said, Robert, there's many times where I am exactly, I'm saying exactly what you need to hear at this exact moment. I am, I am speaking exactly accurately. And he said, but, I was five years old, I remember this. He said, I want you to always be aware that I am not perfect. And that I will say things that aren't perfect and aren't right. And what I want you to do as a child is always test everything according to the Bible. The Bible is where we will find truth. The Bible is where we will find the hope of God. And as a very young person, my dad impressed that on me so significantly that he gave me permission to, to say to him, Dad, I don't know if I agree because of this Bible verse. And so by seven years old, I'm praying and listening to church services, and I'm involved in church, and I'm praying and, and testing what the pastor says according to what I know of the Bible, my seven-year-old mind, what I know of the Bible. And as I was preparing last night, I just felt God just encourage me to say to the congregation, even though I do all this prayer, and I study the Word, and I dive in, and I've done, 
you know, I've done a full degree on studying the word. I've been in ministry for 20 years close. Um, and I've just been like passionate about God and his work. It is imperative that we continue to ask God, what is he saying to me? What is the pastor saying to me that is, that is from God right now? Because there are things that I may say that, that might land in, in, you know, ways that, hey, that, that wasn't quite what God wanted to say to me right now. And always back it up with Scripture. Always pursue God's voice through Scripture where the ultimate authority lies. When I speak on a Sunday morning, I try to base all of the authority that I say in Scripture. And so I just wanted to put that out as a congregation that we are constantly thinking about what is God saying to me and did it come from Scripture? And uh, that's just going to be important for all churches, for us as a church, to say, yeah, I am participating in hearing God's voice through the message. So that was what God wanted me to say today. And uh, if there's ever been a message that, you know, that, that left you feeling uh, like God was pushing away from you or God, God is not for you, then you know that when you read Scripture that God is always for those who are contrite in heart. God is always for those who do not think highly of themselves. God is always for those who look to Jesus Christ. And so you want to make sure that the message that you're hearing aligns with the fact that God is for us and not against us. Thank God for that. Let me pray. God, I am so thankful once again. I think I prayed already, but I just know that you wanted this put with prayer. I am so thankful that you are the God who is for us. And as we dive into this fourth service, that we will once again see that you are for us so significantly that you have broken into history in a way that would be, it would be recognized, in a way that would be seen, in a way that would change the course of the world. God, I thank you that you are fighting for each one of us, that you will not let us go. God, I thank you that you are the God who has given everything. And so, Jesus, we just, we rest in that assurance that, of your love, and we thank you for it. As recipients of great grace, we thank you for it, and we ask you to transform our hearts and our lives to reflect your love in a greater way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, our text today, Matthew chapter 2, 13 to 23. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. 
Then was fulfilled what the prophet, what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in a place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. The first thing that I want to communicate in this message today is actually that God communicates to his people. God communicates to his people. There are two verses for this, verse 13. Now they departed and an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, rise and take the child and his mother. And then in verse 19, we see, but Herod died and behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, rise and take the child. You know, it's a spectacular situation that we're seeing here in Matthew. This is an abnormal place in history. As I said last week, I can't think of another scripture verse or point in history that God has intervened so directly to and so obviously to change the course of events to ensure that his plan happens. This is overt this is like God being like, this will not fail. I will not see any things come up that will make this fail. And so, so God has, has communicated, but we see that this is the theme. This is the theme of Scripture, that God communicates to his people. He is communicating to us as a people he does not leave us just to adrift on our own and to say, oh, well, what seems best for me and what seems right for me and, and allows us to do the best we can with what, he has, what we have. No, God takes more interest and communicates to his people. It is appropriate to ask God to speak to you about direction. It's appropriate for you to say, God, what would you say to me? What would you communicate to me about direction in my life? To, to say, what expectations should I have? And this is something that, that is really, really, it's, it's not mystical. It's not out there crazy. This is because we believe in a God who is actually present today with us. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we believe and know by experience, many of us know that God is with us, that, we that he is communicating to us. And so we look at that and we say, God is communicating. And whenever God communicates, it will line up with Scripture, as we're going to get into even here. Even as we read this text, we're going to see that pattern show up where the communicated word of God is affirmed through scripture. And so God 
when he's communicated, is motivated by his mission. And this is something that's really important for every Christian to understand. It's really, really important to be reminded of that God in his communication is motivated by his mission. You know, there was a time in my life where uh, because of my faith experience and growing up where I grew up, there was a, an expectation that God's ideal was that he was going to fix all my individual little problems, that he, was, that he was going to do pretty much what I wanted him to do. So if I wanted something to get better, then my expectation would be that God was going to actually just fix my little problem, and I knew it would be fixed because it would be fixed according to my expectation. And time and time again, I found my faith disappointed. Because, you know, even though I didn't study for my OAC biology test, God did not miraculously provide me with the answers, and I was kind of upset about that. It sounds a little trite, but sometimes this is the way we want to approach God in our prayer life. Where we want to approach God with our solution. Where we approach God and say, God, God, intervene in this situation and let me show you how. And so this is, this is a, something that, that just needs to be reminded to us. That God communicates in motivation with his mission. God's mission is what he is focused on. And he will wrap all of us into his mission. And he will bless each one of us because to be part of what God is doing is the very definition of what it is to be blessed. To be in part of that whole direction that God is moving in is to be blessed. And so God will bless as we participate in his mission. And that's where we're going to see God communicating the most. We're going to see God communicating the most when it has to do with what he is doing in the world, in, in our communities, in our neighborhood. I was praying the other day as I walked through, um, as I walked through Grand Central, the neighborhood of Grand Central, I was praying, and I actually posted my prayer on Slack. It's there for anybody who wants to see it. But I was praying, and I was praying that God would lift our eyes to see what he is doing again to engage us with the mission and i'm looking at the houses that represent the families in grand central and my heart's cry is god communicate how is it that you want to reach these people how is it that you want to show love to these people how is it that you want to communicate your grand narrative what you've been doing and I would encourage every single person of Promise Church to join in that prayer. When you find yourself walking the dog or maybe walking with your children down the street or maybe you're just walking because you like walking. That's, I guess I kind of still do that. And so, so you, you just, you're out walking and you see the houses and they represent the families of your town. If that's Bradford, they represent the families of Bradford. And the, and the prayer becomes, God, what is your direction here? What are you doing? Because we see here in our text that God communicates 
to his people. God's direction will always lead you towards his mission. It will always lead you towards his mission. And he, God, will direct willing people into and onto correct paths. Psalm 117.5 says, My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. So what's happening here? Sometimes we think of, oh, what path does God have for me? And we think that we're talking about career path. Or we think that we're talking about, like, you know, who should I marry? Or what house should I buy? Or what, what big decision should I make? And we say, well, my feet have not slipped your path. But God is saying, this is the path that I am leading my people along. It's a path that says that I am showing love to the world. I am showing love to the people that I have come to live with and to make all things right with. So so when we pray, it becomes important for us to align our hearts with God's mission and God's path. God's path are not an expression of karma. So that's the other way that I've seen people take God's path. Oh, well, you know, I'm on God's path, and if it happens, it was God's will, and if it doesn't happen, it's not God's will, and if this bad thing happened, it's because somehow I deserved it. This is not an expression of karma. This is an expression of God's united action and him inviting us into something that we didn't deserve, a mission that wraps us up with his love. We didn't deserve that. We as humans have gone astray, each of us to our own way. And the Lord has put upon him the iniquity of all of us. And so we didn't deserve that God wrapped us up and grafted us in and included us back into his mission. None of us deserve that. But indeed, that's what we got. So it can't be about karma, because in karma, I get what I deserve all the time. And that is not our story. If you look at your own last week, and I look at my last week, I will note, and you will note, that we do not deserve the glory and the faithfulness of God. And that's not something to beat us down. That's something to rejoice in because God has granted it to us. This is what Jesus' coming is. Jesus' coming is that God has said, I am gifting you with my presence, not because you deserved it, O Israel, not because you deserved it, world, but because it is my mission, my will, and my expression of absolute love for you. And so when God communicates direction to his people, it is about his mission and how his mission wraps your life up and integrates into your life. In other words, God's mission doesn't change. Mine does. God's direction isn't changing. Mine is the one that's adjusting. And so we ought to expect God to communicate with us. There's an expectation here that God is going to, wants to, will communicate with us directly. We ought to be aware that we typically want God to communicate with our benefit in mind, and God's wanting to communicate with his mission in mind. 
And that just brings home the point that I brought out earlier. That, that God's communicating with his mission in mind. And when we're in that mission, that's when we are truly blessed. That's when life is at the fullest. So Matthew is, is showing us how, he com- how God has communicated by picking off prophecies. He, right here, he's, he, we went over in verse 13 and verse 19, he's communicated, but then both times we see that God is affirming his communication in Scripture itself. He's rooting it back so that we don't get thrown off track by, oh, what we think we heard God say. No, you get drawn back into line because God has said it in Scripture. And so, so we go off and we're like, oh, well, I'm pretty sure God just told me to buy a brand new Cadillac even though I have no money. I go back to Scripture and I see that, oh, wait, that's not God's mission at all to get me a brand new Cadillac. Might be God's mission for you. <laughs> but it's not God's mission at all to get me a brand new Cadillac. It's God's mission to see the world made right and to see him come and live with us where every human's heart is turned by an act of their own will towards this gracious God. That's what God wants. That's when God's going. And so he's picking off prophecies. You know, we already saw it. He's already used, Matthew, Matthew's continuing to pick off important prophecies that identify Jesus as Messiah. He's already used Daniel 9. He's already used Isaiah 7 and Micah 5. And so in, in, in just a very short order, he's cramming in biblical prophecy saying, see, God has spoken. And we're affirming it here. So now he's going to use Hosea 11.1. He's going to use Jeremiah 35, 15, and he's giving us a general reference to Psalm 22, 6, and 7. You know, every single one of the verses that, that he's using, and I was really silly because I did not put the markers in my Bible to find these little passages, but he uses every single one of these to, to show us that the ultimate point of the prophecy was really to show us God's identity. We talked already, just in recap, we talked already about how, how these were not written after the fact, but they were written hundreds of years before Jesus. So it wasn't like we just went, oh, let's just write something in to make a story happen. No, this is something that, that was written, and, and not just written, but part of a cultural identity piece. I think the... the uh, similar idea would be saying that the national anthem, you know, we would look back at the national anthem and say, you know, God keep our land glorious and free. And, and if we saw that as prophecy, then we would say, look, this is how God kept our land glorious and free. And, and that, would be, that would be the thing that the equivalent of what's happening. So we're seeing things that defined a nation. And then in, in Hosea 11, it says, when Israel was a child, I loved him and I called him out of Egypt. You're like, oh, wow. So, so we see that, that it's about being called out of Egypt. And so we have Jesus being called out of e- Egypt as Israel. And then in Jeremiah 31, 15, he, he does it again. You know, he, he uses um, 
he uses the, the, the verse, a voice was heard in Ramah and weeping in loud lamentations. And Ra- Rachel was, re- was weeping for her children. Right? So we see these prophecies being picked off. And they serve to show you that not only is God communicating to us, but he is communicating with the authority of his previously written word. And so we see that that's where, and that's why the service started off today with the statement saying, yeah, I communicate the truths of God. But you need to test the, co- the communication of the truths of God and what you heard with the word of God because that's where it all comes into alignment. That becomes the constant that is, that is defining. So, interesting in this text we see a huge intentional parallel happening, a massive parallel happening that I want to point out to us before we we go home to continue to build in our stuff. So it's going to take a a few minutes to build, but get this, it's really, really cool. There are clear references back to the Exodus in this passage, clear references. And and we see that, that The writer is doing this because Matthew is identifying Jesus not just as Messiah, but as true Israel. Not just as Messiah, which he is, but he's saying he is now Israel. He is the one who is going to fulfill the mission of Israel that that God set in place. He is the one who is going to lead the new Israel into place. He is Israel, the true Israel. I I can't say new because it's not like he replaced, but he is the true Israel, the expression of the faithful Israel. This is what he's getting at here when Matthew's saying, here's this story. Take a look at this. The Exodus language is so evident. You know, we've got um, in the escape to Egypt, we have verse 14, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. In Genesis chapter 37, which is fun, we'll just bounce back and forth because we're, we're paralleling some verses here. In Genesis 37, 28, we have a story of, we have the story of Moses being, being born. And so, sorry, I just got the wrong one. 37, 28. I'm in 38, 28. Sorry. We've got, um, we've got the story of Joseph going into, um, going down into Egypt. So he gets, he gets taken, thrown into a, a pit. We see in 25, you know, the caravan of Ishmaelites are coming from Gilead and the camels are bringing um, gum, balm, and myrrh. Interesting on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And so they sell their brother. They lifted Joseph up from the pit and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver and they took Joseph to Egypt. Right? We're going to get to the other one that I read in a second. So we've also got Abraham in Genesis 12.10 moving to Egypt for protection. And so... So that's, we've got this happening here where, where we see the move to Egypt 
And in 12.10, we see now there was a famine in the land, so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And again, we bring it back to Matthew 2.14, and says he rose up and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. So what we have is we have a nation of people who are caught up, they are identified by, you went into Egypt and God brought you out. Now we have Jesus experiencing it in the personal level. You went into Egypt because of danger, and God is going to bring you out. So the call out of Egypt is the next one we see, Matthew 2.15. And remain there until the death of Herod, and we see, out of Egypt I called my son, and verse 20 says, rise and take the mother and go uh, to the land of Israel, calling him out of Egypt. This is an echo of Moses' calling. See, oftentimes as Christians, we think of Abraham as the founder of the faith, the father of the faith. In first century Judaism, Moses is considered the father. Moses, our father, because Moses was the one that led them out of Egypt. Moses was the one who led them towards the promised land. Moses was the one who gave them Torah. And so Moses is the absolute authority here. And so what we, what we have here is we have this great parallel that says, that says Moses is credited to be the founder of Israel, and God is constantly calling his people out of Egypt. See, going to Egypt throughout the biblical motif is about self-protection. There's trouble, and so we go to Egypt. It, it's constantly about this self-preservation, self-protection piece. And God is constantly calling people out of that, saying, I am going to be the one who will protect you. I am the one who releases you from the danger and the snare and the toil. I am the one who will be your faithful provider. Okay, let's pause that for a second because that parallels into our life. What is our Egypt? What is our Egypt that we run to for our security, for our protection? When troubles come, what do we go to instead of God? What are the things that we just tend to just flap, flop back onto and say, this is what I hold on to? What are the things that you do? Because it's different for each one of us. It's different for each one of us. We, we hold on to something that says, this is what I go to when things are struggling, when, things are tr when there's a trial, when there's danger, when there's something. I run to that. And God is constantly calling us away from the things that we run to into trust in Him, into the promised land, into the blessing. And so God's calling His people out of Egypt. And he calls Jesus the new Moses, leading people out of Egypt. Again, we see it paralleled in Matthew 2.16 with the killing of the boys. Pretty hor horrific idea. But then when, when Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, he became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. Oh, look at this. We've seen this before. Where have we seen this before? Oh, we saw it in early Exodus when Moses was going to uh, lead the people out. And we have, we have that there's a threat on Moses' life. 
that God saved him from. Right? Like, this is, this is again, the same thing. The Pharaoh commanded all the people that every son is to be born to Hebrews. You shall cast into the Nile, but you let the daughters live. Wait a second. What's happening? God is saving Moses from the death. And now we see, again, God is saving Jesus from the death. He's saying, look, there's a great leader that you know in history that I've brought out. I'm doing the exact same thing again. Can you see it? Can you see what I've done? See, God is communicating. He's layering it on top so that every time he's communicating his mission, it falls into line. That's why I can say so confidently today that if God is communicating something with you, it's about his mission and it's going to fall into line. It's layered upon layered upon layered and this is the truth that we see in the scripture. So Jesus is the new Moses who is going to lead his people into the promise of God. The land that God will come and live with us and make everything right. This is Jesus. This is Christmas. This year I've been watching all of the stores and all of the Christmas push and the retail stuff and the, just like every other year, but this year it just feels even more pronounced. Just the lack of the story, the veneer of fake celebration. Oh, we're going to celebrate holly and reindeers. Why? Why? There is no true source of joy in that thin story. There's humor, there's magic, there's kids stuff in it. But there is no depth of joy in that story. There is rooted, historic, layered joy upon joy in the story of Scripture. No, it's not, it's not like gonna you know get you all excited and be like oh yeah i'm so fun like a child frolicking in the snow it is joy that's rooted in truth that says god has been rescuing his people us for century after century after century look it's right here in jesus it's right here it's all about the identity of Jesus. Jesus is identified as the hope of Israel, the king of Israel, and he's Israel, and Israel is now defined by Jesus. Born as an Israelite, raised in Nazareth, come to save the world. The reason that Christmas is so great is because God has done great work. I said this before, but I'll say it again. For thousands of years, God's been writing this moment. For thousands of years, God has been waiting patiently to forgive his people and save all people. For thousands of years, God has been dreaming of being with his creation like he walked with Adam and Eve. For thousands of years, God has planned, foretold, all that he was going to do, and when he does it, he's recognized. And Matthew shows us Jesus' identity. Matthew unveils it for us so that we can recognize who Jesus is. And so now, 2,000 years later, we celebrate the fact that God has, inde has indeed redeemed you and redeemed me. 
God has redeemed us. God has said, I'm wrapping you up in this mission. We're brought into the relationship with God through Jesus. We're saved from the sure reality of death by Jesus. And we inherit the successes of God's mission and inclusion into the family because of Jesus. Matthew's Christmas is to identify Jesus as Messiah, your hope, my hope. It's to base it in the history and in the prophecy and, the in, and in the international witness and the cosmic witness to leave us with no doubt in our mind that Jesus is God with us. Thank God for that. This is good news that God did not give up on us. The hope of the world cannot be destroyed. It may be ignored. Reindeers and whatever sleds and Christmas lights might cover over the true hope of the season. But we actually have a substantival story that matters for young adults and teenagers who are waiting for something worth celebrating to come along. We have a story that actually brings hope for people who are wearied by the weight of this world. For yonder breaks a new and glorious day. It's one of the lines in O Holy Night. Like it's just beautiful, or new and glorious morn. As we move towards the Christmas week, I want to encourage you as a family, if you're home right now, I want to encourage you at home and every individual that the hope of the world cannot be destroyed. It cannot be made irrelevant. And it cannot be removed. Jesus comes as God's hope to us. And that is Matthew's purpose for writing about Christmas. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much that your hope cannot be removed or eradicated. I thank you that you call us into your mission and it is inside of that mission that we experience blessing. I thank you that your mission has never moved, that you are a God who says that you are coming to live with us and to make all things right and you've done it in the person of Jesus. And we look forward to your return, Jesus. We thank you that you sent us the comfort of the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us, to remind us of your constant presence, that you will not leave us or forsake us no matter how dark days might seem. You are here. Give us rest in that moment. No matter what we struggle against inside of us, you are present, refining us and making things right in us, for us, and through us. God, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the reason to celebrate. We thank you for your glory. We thank you for your story that's thousands of years old. We thank you because you are good. And we thank you for all of this. In singularly, the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you, and as you have a week that prepares for Christmas, I pray that it would be a week full of reflection on truth and on hope. God bless.